welcome everybody to this week's episode. We really appreciate you joining us. This podcast really shows us how we can all learn, live, and thrive off of each other. By sharing our knowledge through our conversations, we will impart some knowledge whilst learning ourselves how to progress even further. Here is your host. Teal and Lafasa, and we have a celebrity today. We have Jody Plochet, <laughs> and um, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with his story, but um, if you're in the Baton Rouge area, if you've grown up in the Baton Rouge area, then you probably are at least uh, somewhat familiar. You've probably heard of Jody before, and Jody, I'll kind of let you. Um, he's, he's written a book, and that's why we have him here. The book's called Why Gary Why. And uh, I'll kind of let you tell a little bit about yourself and the and why you're here, why you wrote your book and all that, um, just to kind of get people up to speed who might not know uh, about your background. All right, I'll give you the clip notes. When I was in fifth grade, I started taking karate from a man named Jeff Doucette, who eventually gained the trust of my family and, and of me, and uh, took advantage of me sexually. He sexually abused me for almost a year, and he had made some bad business deals, transactions, um, con some people, and he and uh, he had a court date coming up, and this would have been in March of '84, and um, kind of the pressure got to him, and he decided to leave town because you know he's trying to avoid you know prosecution for writing bad checks and other things. And when he left town in February on February 19th, 1984. He took me with him. We went to Port Arthur, Texas. We stayed with his mother for two nights, that Sunday night and that Monday night. And that Tuesday, we got on a bus headed to Los Angeles, California. And on February 29th, because it was a leap year, um, police apprehended Jeff at a motel in Anaheim, about a block from Disneyland. Um, the next day on March 1st, I was returned home. Or I guess on February 28th would have been the day they arrested him. On March 1st, I was returned home to New Orleans. My parents and my uncle and my brother picked me up, brought me back home to Baton Rouge. Um, 16 days later, on Friday, March 16th, uh, about 9 o'clock in the evening, uh, they were returning. The police officers went out to California to extradite Jeff back to Baton Rouge. Well, someone at the local TV station had told my father at the time that he was coming back. My dad, being upset after having found out that I had been sexually abused because a hospital report came back, a week earlier, and with some of the details that he found out through, uh, you know, I kind of told my mother, um, he went to the airport, was talking on the payphone with his best friend, Jim Adams, and the news camera came on, my dad reached in his boot, pulled out a thirty-eight, and when Jeff walked past him, he turned around and shot him one time in the ear, and literally, he was dead before he hit the ground, it was captured by the same TV station that told my dad. Um, the cameraman was able to record it, and that recording has been viewed over 27 million times on YouTube. And if you go to YouTube, you can type in my name, Jody Ploche, J-O-D-Y-P-L-A-U-C-H-E, uh, A Time to Kill. Uh, ESPN did a really good kind of 15-minute mini documentary on, or, you know, like E60, this what it was on. And um, it tells a story really well. Uh, my dad has since passed. He died a year after that aired. And um, I've been working on the book for 
several years. I started writing in 93, um, but I didn't feel like it was good enough or I'd had enough valuable information. Um, so I graduated from LSU in 97. I got a job working at a place called Victims Services Center of Montgomery County in 1998, and I worked there till 2005. And after that, after being a trained, certified sexual assault counselor, crisis counselor, um, and community educator, that I had gained the experience, the knowledge, and the training to where I could write a book that would be beneficial to people other than just me telling my story. Right, and and you have mentioned in the past, I know that, you know, you've probably told your story, you know, hundreds of millions of times by now, uh, but you mentioned that the book is just a, a little different because it's not, it, it, it goes a little beyond advocacy, right? My focus in wanting to write this book was not to just educate. Educate right. was probably the main focus. But I also want it to be entertaining. I want people to be able to enjoy it. I mean, it is a book about child rape, kidnapping, and murder. Right. So not that's subject. not a light subject. So I wanted to, to tell the story in a way that people wouldn't set the book down to where they did. I didn't want them to get disgusted, put the book down. But I also wanted to be light and kind of reflect my personality. And I wanted it to be something that um, would inspire people who may have been through a similar situation. Right. And so I guess in writing this and in having um, that purpose in mind, you were able to go a little more in depth than, you know, just when, when you're advocating with other groups or if you're talking in front of people, correct? Well, the one thing I wanted to do was also be very honest. Okay. And so one of the, uh, circumstances surrounding child sexual abuse um, is probably one of the most un uncomfortable for people to kind of acknowledge. And in a lot of the books that I've read about sexual abuse and, and surviving, um, certain parts aren't brought up, you know, right. especially how the body right. responds. And so I wanted to make sure that I was totally honest. And like I said, you might get uncomfortable reading it, but it'll also make you look at it in a different light. Right, and I, that's very good, especially if you've been victimized. You can see that what you're going through is not out of the ordinary. That it's normal, and part of the reason why I was as honest as I was is because I don't feel like people should be um, tormented for the rest of their lives for something they had no control over. Right, right. Well, and that kind of kind of spawns another question that I have. Um, in, you know, in going through all this experience when you were a child um, and growing up, obviously your life took a different turn than, than what most people would expect. But do you think that you're the same person that, you know, do you think it affected you so that you, you're not, I mean your core personality, do you think your core personality is pretty much the same or do you think it affected you in any way? I think my core personality is the same, but I think that, I mean, any experience you go through, I mean, you right. know, watching, you know, Joe Burrow win the Heisman Trophy the other night, you know, affected me. Right. Um, so any experience that you go through, especially Absolutely. a trauma, mm -hmm. it will have some type of uh, effect. Now, I can sit here and go, well, it has no negative effect on me, but I, I'm single and I have no kids. I have no desire to want, I don't want kids. Now, is that because of what I went through when I was younger? I can't answer that question, but I can right. speculate. So do I, do I trust people less than most people? Yes. 
And is that from what I went through? Probably. I'd almost guarantee it. But is that a bad thing? So I'm not looking at me not trusting people as a negative thing. You know, I'm not blind to just believe, oh, people are wonderful. Um, so, yeah, it has affected me. But as far as, like, has it taken me down a, a bad road of self-destructive behavior or self-blame or self-hate or, or, you know, body mutilation, right, right. I've never done any of that. And you've been able, you know, because recovery is different for every single person. And um, I, I, I've heard you say that it it shouldn't, even though what what has happened to you isn't the best of circumstances, um, it shouldn't define your whole life and and steer you into, you know, destructive behavior. Right. You can I, overcome. I would much rather people know me for being a good cook than being the kid who was kidnapped and his father shot the guy. Right. But the circumstances are what they are. Um, you could go look at my YouTube page, and I've got several different versions of gumbo up there, and you'll see people go, your dad's a hero. Some people be like, your dad's not a hero. But it's all, I mean, mo a lot of times instead of saying, hey, man, that gumbo looks great, they'll be like, are you the Jody Blochet? So, I mean, it's always, you know, I'm not, I'm, in those instances, I'm identified with that. But for most of the people who know me, they don't look at me as like, oh, this is a guy that was, you know, kidnapped and his father shot the guy. I mean, they just know me as Jody. Right, right. So. And that's, I'm sure that, uh, Survivors want want that to be the same situation for them. So, um, what are some what some advice you can give somebody who wants to achieve that goal? Okay, um, you mentioned that like everyone handles trauma differently or grieves differently right. or goes through the process differently. One of the things that I want to add is that you know it depends on where you are in your journey. Some people. They won't even identify what they went through until maybe in their 20s or it, it, they might not even remember what happened until they have a child. And then that flashes back and makes right. them realize what happened. Absolutely. So in that meantime, a lot of survivors will do self-destructive behavior, do drugs, alcohol. And when I was at Victim Services Center, we wouldn't treat people who were actively suffering through an addiction. They had to take care of that first before they could address the other underlying reason for that addiction. So depending on where you're in your journey, uh, I would just try to make sure that you get all your loose ends tied up so you can address where you are. I had to address what happened to me when I was 11 years old because my dad shot him. Right. And so I was able to work through that at a young age. And plus, you know, I, I'm not ADD, but I'm AD. I got attention deficit. So I couldn't focus long enough to dwell on the negative things that had happened to me. I'd be like, oh, let's go play. Yeah, I mean, it, right, so right. it depends on where you are, but um, make sure that you get the proper support. And that can come from many forms. It can come from it can come from a family member. It can come from your best friend. It could come from a professional psychiatrist, psychologist. Mm -hmm. It could come from a support group. I mean, there are many ways out there, and there are many people out there that are trying to help others. And you just got to identify and, and seek it. Right. And... I think you made a good point that if you are going through certain behaviors, then you might identify that that might be associated with what has happened to you. Um, I, I actually do work with somebody, and she was mentioning that students um, that are not performing well in school have come to her to seek assistance. And, and she's not a counselor, but in talking with them and trying to find out why they're not doing well, she has come to find that many students have 
have gone through trauma in their lives. So, so she's not a counselor, but she is a support system. Right, exactly. Which makes and, her a counselor. Well, <laughs> kind of, she's not yeah. a trained counselor, but, but... No, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's sometimes you don't realize that things, even bad grades, you know, like your, your grades are suffering, and um, it might just be because of something that you've been through. Um, what... Your book, ha you know, your experience happened many years ago, and so... What are some of the things that parents can start to do? Because right now we have, you know, cyber criminals that are predators that are seeking, uh, you know, conversation and the trust of children. Um, so what do you suggest for parents to do uh, so, that, so that this doesn't happen to their children? What I, I think parents should be doing is at a young age, they should be having... Um, conversations and in the book I mentioned a place called an organization called there's no place like home and they have kind of like you can go to if you google it about sex education or human sexuality education and basically it'll tell you age-appropriate conversations or age-appropriate things your child should know so this should be going on from the time they're really young um, also parents should pay attention to who their children are hanging out with or spending time with or someone showing more interest in their child than they are that's a big red flag and when it comes to the computer, same thing. You need to, you know, as long as that child is in your house, um, yeah, you have a right to monitor what that child is, uh, who they're interacting with or who they're chatting with or who they're talking to or what games they're playing. And I, I fell for this myth when I was uh, younger. Um, I would go into schools and we would do a program called Keep in Touch is Safe and Healthy. So we would go teach kindergartners and first graders, you know, safe, unsafe touches and inappropriate sexual touch by a grown-up and we would put the emphasis on them that you need to tell that person no you need to get away from that person and you need to tell an adult it shouldn't get to that right. you should be able to be monitoring your you know be overprotective um that's that's, that's the best good, way yeah and and establish the trust with your child so that they're not going to trust that person over you and I, I did a presentation uh, a couple months ago with a fellow board member for the Louisiana Foundation Against Sexual Assault, Monica. And she mentioned that even if you do everything right, even if you monitor what your child does, even if you don't let them go with adults unless it's necessary, that you can do everything right and something bad still could happen. So you still want to have that conversation with your child so if something bad does happen, they're in a better place. My mother, she told us about you know child predators. So when this guy was started testing my boundaries and touching me inappropriately, I was thinking to myself, ooh, this is one of those people my mother taught me about. So I knew immediately that I wasn't to blame, that it wasn't my fault. At the time, I just didn't have the skills or the, the know-how of how to tell. Right. And I also knew if I told them, it would freak them out, and look what my dad ended up doing. They ended up shooting him. So exactly. part of the reason I didn't tell may have been knowing that my father would do something drastic. Right, right. And I, and I remember in the book, you did bring that up, that you... You know, as a, sort of a preservation for your family and, you know, for yourself, you still weren't blaming Jeff uh, even after everything had happened. Well, I wasn't blaming myself. Right. Jeff was to blame. Well, he was blamed, but you still, you, you well, I, okay, let me say, let me rephrase that. You didn't say that he had done it. Right. You had well, it. after I was re uh, rescued and taken back to Louisiana, before I left California, they took me to the hospital and they did a rape kit examination on me, a complete physical exam. And they took my blood and urine samples and cotton swabs in places you don't want cotton swabs. And um, I knew that it would eventually come back positive. 
So I lied and did not say anything. I said Jeff didn't touch me because I knew once that rape report came out. I felt Jeff was going to get a slap on the wrist and when he got out, might want to cause me some type of harm. Right. And I wanted to have that deniability to say, hey, I did not rat you out. You ratted yourself out. And that's a legitimate fear that a child might have. Right. I mean, and I was feared that he would come back right. on me if I told. And and that happens. A lot of predators will say that. They'll say, you know, if you tell, something bad's going to happen. Well, you tell. It's, and, and I don't know if Jeff did that or not. Well, but. he claimed on the plane ride holder, and he probably mentioned it uh, a time or two, but he claimed, um, and you'll have to read this in the book, because... Uh, but he claimed, well, I'll, I'll try to clean it up, but just imagine the words that he used. Uh, he claimed that it, what we did was special, and that if I ever told him, if he ever found out, he'd have to go to jail. And the quote-unquote uh, prisoners, he did not use the term prisoners, okay. he used a uh, racial slur, right. and uh, he said they would do that to him, and that wouldn't be right. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, now that's some logic for you. Yeah, that's what that, and so, I, so in the book I said not only was Jeff a child molester, he's also a racist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So writing a book is not an easy thing to do, right? That's why it took me 25, <laughs> 20, 27 years yeah. to finish it. But no. Right, but you got it started and you had all those thoughts. But, the, I mean, and even, the, you know, regardless of... Uh, your experience in recounting that, just the technical aspect, that's got to be a little arduous, Well, right? <laughs> all right, so in 93, I set out and I wrote 27,000 words. Then in 2017, I hired a book writing company, On Fire Books, out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And they told me, they said, look, just write. They said, don't worry about punctuation, don't worry about spelling. When you get a uh, publisher, they're going to give you an editor, and the editor is going to be able to go through all that and fine-tune everything. And so that was, a, a to me, a, a fun part of the process was going back and looking at the editor's suggestions as far as, you know, the typical uh, punctuation here is a semicolon, not a comma, you know, and, right, and going right. through and making those changes. Or one specifically that stands out, as I mentioned, False River, which is a lake Right. <laughs> Located about 30 miles northwest of Baton Rouge in Point Capi Parish. And so I put False River, and then they put in parentheses, you might want to say Point Capi Parish, 30 miles northwest of Baton Rouge. That gives people kind of like a sense of where uh, False River is. And so I was like, yeah, good point. Right, right. I'm like, that that one little suggestion made my book better. And so there were a whole bunch of suggestions throughout and uh, it was fun to see the the kind of like the rough, rough, rough drafts come to what eventually became the book. I'm not gonna hurt him, <laughs> but uh, that that to, that to me was one of the the most exciting process to go from a a word perfect document on a three and a half inch floppy disk, or, or you know I started on the five inch disk, then it went to the three and a half hard disk, to see it go from that to 1993 to an actual book print on demand that you can get at amazon.com and to actually hold that book it was it was something special yeah i can imagine i mean that's a lot of hard work and time and and the the, the feedback the response that i've got the fact that yeah. you know a lot of people say my, my high school basketball coach came to like this book signing i had and he had already bought the copy he had already read the copy and he said i couldn't put it down and 
because and that to me because you always wonder about you know are people gonna like it it's right, um, right. well right I mean that's your that's your you know your heart that's been poured out right there what regardless of what the story is you've put in you know your time and your sweat and all that just getting it there so uh, there is that level that you're uh, you might worry about somebody coming and, and having some sort of negative remark or something. I think I've got 13 reviews on Amazon right now, and I've got 12 five stars and one four stars, and I'm not happy with the four star. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, when you're a perfectionist, sometimes that. <laughs> sometimes I would like to know why. Well, and they were like, well, you know, it seemed to struggle with his emotion. And I know I didn't. Like, <laughs> you've got to read the comment, but, you know. Uh, well, it, we welcome you, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, we welcome you to get Jody's book and, and read it and then give him the five stars. No, no, and I'll say this. You know what? Don't, be honest. Go to, honest. go to Amazon, review right. it, and just, just be honest. That's all I ask. Right. And I think if, if, if people go and be honest, I think I will get those five stars. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. And, and I mean, that you've mentioned that several times in this conversation is honesty, you know? I mean, I think that that is a, that's something that, uh, kind of rings with your personality. Well, I'll tell you what's funny is I tried to be as honest as I could. And um, I was reading through the published book, right? And I mentioned that I was in Greenwich Village and I went and saw uh, my favorite comedian, Jim Norton. And I mentioned that I was at a bar called Off the Wagon. Yeah. And it wasn't. Uh. It was, I can't even think of the name. But, <laughs> but I will say this, it was owned by the same group of people. Okay. Uh, there's Off the Wagon, Stumble In, um, Down the Hatch is one of my favorite bars in New York City. And, oh, this the one we were actually at was called Three Sheets. But guess what? Three Sheets is a block away from off the wagon. So it wasn't like I told a, I wasn't telling a lie. I just, right, yeah. I misidentified the proper bar. Right, yeah. <laughs> if, if there's, you know, if that's the worst. Yeah, that, that's. <laughs> um, and what, in, in, um, what kind of message do you want people to come away with after they do read your book? I think I told a friend of mine that I want uh, parents to have knowledge. I want survivors to have hope. And I want people who really just haven't been affected to have a general understanding. That's a good point. Because um, I'm sure that quite a few people that are reading your book um, have not been affected by, uh, you know, well, sexual Well, assault. everyone's been affected, but it, uh, right. being but a direct, personally. yeah, a personal, right. um, because I promise you, uh, a niece or a nephew, someone you know, a right. cousin, aunt, you know, has been through something like this. But, yes, talking about being a direct victim, yeah, there are a lot of people out there who were out there who know, you know, or been around people who, who have. And and the book's for them, too. It's It's... You know, I don't want to say for everybody, but it's, I, I mean, I intended everyone to be able to benefit from this book somehow if they read it. And um, we were talking all, also earlier, um, and uh, Jody does a lot of advocacy for survivors. So what kind of advocacy um, do you plan to do, to, do you plan to pursue, um, and, and promotions for the book um, in the future? Well, um I do have some speaking engagement coming up, and so anytime uh, I get the opportunity to do a presentation or a keynote in front of a group of people to try to, you know, educate and enlighten them, I do. And again, I try to entertain them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just continued promotion of the book, 
um, speaking out whenever I can. You know, hopefully I can get on a national show to raise awareness. I just want more people to know um, that they can read this book, they can learn, and for someone who's been a victim, that they can, if with the proper support, they can be okay. And um, how can people follow you or contact you? I have a website, jodyploche.net. I have Twitter, at jploche. I have Facebook. I have Instagram. I think Instagram's at Jody Ploche. Um, I also have a, another Twitter account, at Jody Ploche. So, I mean, uh, I'm easy to, to be able to contact, email, uh, tweet at, holler at. So, that shouldn't be a problem. That's awesome. And Jody, I mean, you're just like, you're one of the nicest guys. And you just, I know that anybody that needs a question asked or anything that you're going to be there for them. If they have a question, you can, I think I, I got a link on my website where you can, it's like ask Jody. You can just send me a question. It'll come to my email and I'll respond. Oh, perfect, perfect. Maybe not right away, but I'll respond <laughs> as soon as I get a chance. Right, right. Well, you know, um, you can't be sitting in front of our computers 24 seven. Right. <laughs> well, Jody, thank you so much for sitting here with us today. And um, please, you can, Read his book because it's got information that you, you just you can't you can't imagine how things are. Um, you can only experience it through reading his book. And I tell people it's the best book you're going to read about child rape, kidnapping, and murder. <laughs> I promise you. And, and I've okay, can I say reading. one more thing? Oh, it it, it, it kind of yes. has a well. The ending is kind of sad, but the story of what happened when my father had a happy ending because he yeah. ended up getting probation. He never spent a day in jail, so he got community service and probation. So he was able to, um, you know, take revenge on the guy who had sexually abused and kidnapped his son. But suffer a minimum consequence. Uh, right. He pled no contest to manslaughter and he got probation. Yeah, and I've, actually, you know, I was going to, we were kind of drawing a conclusion, but this is kind of brings about another question. You mentioned um, uh, in an earlier conversation that you, you don't like to hear parents or people say, um, if that ever happened to my child, I'd kill them. And that's what happened to you. Um, why do you discourage that? There's a chapter in the book. I think it's chapter 17 on messages or something. I wish I had a book. We, the book just left. But uh, <laughs> it, it talks about the, the unintended consequences that you're saying it for the proper reason, the right reason, but it could have the opposite effect. Like people say, well, why did you tell? I was like, well, my, I knew my father would kill him. And then you know, I would have heard it growing up. You know, if anyone ever does anything like that, I'll kill him. Or, you know, if someone does it to my child, I'll, I'll take him out. Um, another one is when you identify a child's victim of sexual abuse as being scarred for life or, you know, this right. child's ruined, you've ruined this child's, you know, I, I hate to hear that as well. This one woman wrote me a letter when I was at Victim Services Center and she told me, she told her young daughter that it doesn't kill a child, it's worse, it kills their soul. And I'm like, now do you think if this girl's ever touched, she's going to tell her mother? She's going to keep quiet because she's not going to let her mother know that her soul had just been murdered. Absolutely. And so those are those are some of the lessons that you get through reading this book is there's other things that you probably haven't thought about that, you know, having my experience of going, graduating from college, going to victim services and having experienced what I experienced that is included in the book, which can make you see things a little differently. Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, point to make, especially because you don't... And you, like you said, it comes out of the best of intentions when you're a parent, but you don't realize that you know if you tell a child their soul is going to be killed, um, 
or yeah. you're going to kill the, or, the perpetrator. Or you're going to kill... Yeah. And most of the time, the perpetrator's uh, someone known to the family or a family member. Exactly. Then, you know, yeah, they're not going to want... Somebody that was respected by a lot of people. Yeah, they're not going to want Uncle Paul to be killed. Right, right. Were, um, did, did any other uh, survivors come forward or did... No. No? He, he only had confessed to, I think, me and two others. I suspect there were many, many more. Right. Um... I did have one of my karate team members um, after the E60 aired in, I thought I want to say October or September of uh, 2013, she called me up and she told me that the day I was kidnapped, and again, I haven't verified the story, but right. I mean, she called, I have no reason not, not to believe her, Absolutely. that the day I was kidnapped, Jeff had showed up to their house asking to see if her brother, who was like 10, could go ride with him. Oh, wow. So That's kind of scary. Yeah, it could have been him. Could have been. Well, um, I don't know, Jody. Is there anything else you would like to I say? I mean, or? if I could give everyone a free copy of the book, I would do it. But you know, well, unfortunately, I can't. But it's on sale at Amazon.com. Yeah. <laughs> you can get the paperback, or if you're like me, I love Kindles. You can get the Kindle version. It's nine ninety nine, and the paperback's nineteen ninety nine. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Jenny. Your time has, here has been very entertaining and very valuable, and we appreciate uh, you, your, all your work, your advocacy, and the, the hard work you put into the book. All right. Well, thank you.